Well, church, we've been doing this series um, on the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And we've been going chapter by chapter, and today we are on chapter three. But here's the thing, if this is your first time here and you're like, oh my goodness, oh, oh, I'm going to, I'm like, they already started and I haven't even done being part of chapter one, it's okay. This isn't like a series that we're binge watching on Netflix or something like that. You have to try to get back to the beginning. You can start right where you are and you won't miss a beat. That's the way the Word of, Word of God is designed for us, just to pick up this Word of God and, begin, and God begins to download something in our spirit wherever we are in the Bible. And, and that's what I love about the Bible. So it's okay. You can just join us right from here. Hebrews chapter 3 today. But I, I just want to ask you this question. Have you ever walked across a rope bridge before? You know, the, you know what a rope bridge is, you know? It's a, it's a whole bridge that's been um, made of rope. Anyway, it's a rope bridge. <laughs> so, and and, and when, you, when you're walking on this rope bridge, it's kind of like, you've kind of, it's kind of moves. It moves. It moves. And, and, if you, and depending how far away and how, how high it is up in the air, you, you know, it can be very scary going across this bridge. And now, if you go across with a guide, this is what the guide will tell you. The guide will tell you is to, is to keep your eyes forward. Keep your, eyes, keep your eyes fixed, keep your eyes focused on the end. What, just look forward and just, just keep on swimming like Dory, okay? Just keep on swimming, you just keep making your way through, okay? Now, when people freak out on these rope bridges, why are they freaking out, right? The reason they're freaking out is because the eyes aren't fixed on the end point, on the, end, on the destination, where, is it, where, where are the eyes fixed? They're like this, oh my goodness! Right, and then they start shaking, and the people freak out. This is true. This is true. This is so true. Uh, you head towards what you are focused on. You will head towards what you are focused on. Right? There are so many factors in our life that we can't control. There's so many things that are out of our control. But one thing that we can always control is our focus. Is our focus. You know, this is why a lot of marriage fail. Not because of loss of love, but loss of focus. Loss of focus. And this is true of every relationship. Not just marriages, any kind of relationship. Um, relationship between, between um, child and parent, grandparents, and, or who sort of work relationships. Right? It's, not like, it's not because of um, loss of love or breakdown. It's because of loss of focus in a relationship. What are you focused on in those relationships? Are you just focused on all the faults? Because if, if all you're focused on are all the faults, then that is all you will see. Because we head to, towards what we are focused on. So in your marriage, if you're looking at, if you're married to someone and all you see is that lazy couch potato sitting there while I'm peeling the potatoes, and they ask me, honey, what's for dinner? Well, I'm going to have this potato through your head soon. <laughs> you know, uh, you might know what I'm talking no, no. <laughs> Yeah, right? But focus on, like, oh my gosh. That's the object of my desire, right? He is the object of my desire, but guess what? Because the more what you focus on, you get more of, right? Do you want the object of your desire, or do you want a lazy couch potato, right? Men, do you want an old bag, or do you want, what do you want? Let's change your focus, because what you focus on, you get more. We tend to head towards what we are focused on. So what are you focused on, Right? Right? And, and sometimes what we call failure is just broken focus. It's just broken focus. It's why the, the things that we're so passionate for, all of a sudden that passion begins to leak. It's not loss of passion, it's loss of focus. 
Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. What are you focused on in your faith? What are you focused on in your faith? Are you focused on the storm that you see all around you? Or are you focused on Jesus who knows the way out of that storm? Right? And that's why people stop coming to church. It's because of loss of focus. See, whatever has your attention, get this, whatever has attention has captured your focus. Whatever has your attention has captured your focus. What has your attention right now? In your walk with God, what has taken away your attention? And that's what chapter 3 is all about. Chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews is all about keeping focus. Everyone say focus. F-O-K-I-S-S, focus. Oh, sorry. No, I'm not back in Mangere. I'm here. Here we go. Focus. It's not something between me and my wife. It's something, okay, you know, just, yeah, let's carry on. My wife always says to me, Auntie, you don't have to say everything that goes through your head. Right, just keep, okay. It's about keeping focus, F-O-C-U-C. Oh, I can't even say that right. Doesn't matter. Just look up there. Hopeless, where is it? Where is it? This is true. You head towards what you are focused on. Just focus on that. Okay. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Okay. And it's okay. We're going to have the verses on the screen. Here we go. <laughs> verse 1 says this. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters. So who's the writer of Hebrews talking to? He's not talking to unchurched people. Right? Talking to church. People go to church. Believers. If you're in this room and you're not really a believer, that's Okay you are still going to get something out of this message. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, and when it says heavenly calling, it's not saying, hey, because you know, you've been invited to come up here, to come up here to heaven. It's not that at all. Rather, rather, it's a call from heaven. So if you're a believer, this is what the call from heaven is to you. What is the call for you? It's this, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest, that he is the apostle. He is the apostle, right? He is the one sent from God, and that's what apostle means, sent from God, sent one. He is the high priest who represents God to us, to people, and people to God. And the minute we stop fixing our focus on Jesus, we drift. We drift. So right off the bat, verse 1. We're just in verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. This is the heavenly calling. This is the call from heaven. It's for you. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. If you don't, we, you will drift. You will drift. Verse 2. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful to God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone. Just in case you're wondering, where did this house come from that I'm living in right now? Someone built it. This, just in case you, oh no, that's profound. Profound, right? right? Every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Everything you have comes from God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what will be spoken by God in the future. Right? Moses was witness, something's coming. But Christ is faithful as the son 
over God's house. So the writer of Hebrews is talking about a house, the house of God. And Moses worked as a servant to bring the law, and the law was pointing towards the, being fulfilled in the life of Jesus. So now Moses is a servant in the house, but Jesus is the son of the house. He's the son of the house, for he owns the house. But this still begs the question, begs the question, right? What, is a, what, what house? What is God's house? Now, if you're a first century Jewish person, you'll be thinking of the temple. Ah, oh, house of God is the temple. But the, the, the New Testament writers and the writer of Hebrews, they have a different perspective. And this is what they, this is what they say. And we are his house. See, the true house of God is not a building. This building is not the house of God. But it's a community of believers. It's the people. We are the house of God. The fact that, we're, the fact that you're in here this morning is why we're having church. You didn't come to church. We are the church. You are part of God's house, not a building but a community of people, community of believers. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Now, did you catch the um, conditional statement here? There's a condition here, a conditional statement. It's the if world, world, word. It's the if word. And that's I-F, just in case you got mistaken for another word. Okay, it's the if word. I've got to say that really slowly. If word, right? In other words, right? It goes, because if, (laughs) and we are in this house. Come on, let's go. If we are in this, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence. And this, this this, this is the condition. The condition is, do you believe or not? Do you believe in Jesus or not in Jesus? This is the only condition. This is the only condition to be part of God's family, to be part of God's house, to be part of God's whanau, is do you believe in Jesus or not? This is the only condition it gives us. Notice it doesn't say, well, to be part of his house, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do this, and then when you do all these things, then you can be part of God's house. No, it does not say that. There is, the only condition is, Do you believe? Do you believe? You know what? You know where my confidence lies? My confidence is in Jesus. That is where my confidence is. That is why I keep the faith no matter how hard things get. Because my confidence is in Jesus. Pastor PJ and Yalta, when their their son-in-law, the the, the. The notice from the doctors was it wasn't looking good, but their confidence wasn't in the doctors, it was in Jesus. No matter what we go through, no matter what bad report we come from, my confidence is not in anything I'm hearing out there. It's not in in what the world is telling me. It's, It's in who Jesus is. That is who my confidence is in. You know what that means? It means my confidence is not in my own merit. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Your confidence is in nothing that you do. You know what that means? That means that you can't lose your salvation based on anything you've done or not done. 
Because your salvation was never based on you. Your salvation was never based on anything you've done. It was all based on what Jesus has done. And that is who we put our confidence in. And that is why we keep our faith. You cannot lose your salvation based upon sin because you, oh, you haven't ticked all the boxes, right? If you believe you can lose your salvation because of all these sins you've done, that is bad doctrine. That's not what the Bible teaches. My confidence is in Jesus. My confidence has nothing to do with my own merit. My confidence is all is in what Jesus has done for me. It's what he has done. That's where my confidence is. And, but, the, but the writer of Hebrews gives us a warning because he's writing to believers. If you're a believer here this morning, this is, this is the warning of the writer of Hebrews to you. Warning you that although you can't lose your salvation based upon anything you do. But he warns us because you can still reject this salvation. You can still reject this salvation. Your salvation is not based upon works, but by faith. It's based on faith. It's based on belief. You can reject this by unbelief, but no longer believing in, but no longer having confidence in. And this is the warning to, this is the right of Hebrews, this is his warning to believers, warning us not to stop believing, but to be confident in Jesus, that in Jesus we have our confidence. Verse 7, so as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. And this is hyperlinking us to the Old Testament. To, to ancient Israel when they were in the wilderness before they entered into the promised land. Where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. They're not focused. And they, don't, and they have not known my way, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin's deceitfulness can take, will take your attention away. And whatever has your attention captures your focus. See, God's rest is where he lives. It's where God dwells. When God created, uh, he created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. He rested and he invited humanity to enjoy his rest, his dwelling place until humanity decided to say, you know what, God, we're not going to trust you anymore. We're not going to trust, trust what is what is good and evil, we're going to decide for ourselves what is good and evil in our own sight. And because of that, humanity stepped out of God's rest. And the story of the Bible is leading us, to, uh, and where God is inviting us and taking us on a journey to once again re-enter His rest. God's rest is where He dwells. And in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament context, that was the promised land. That was the place where he planned to dwell. He wanted Israel to be his people, and he would be their God. 
So when God delivered Israel out of slavery from Egypt, he caused them to enter into his rest. So when they came close to the promised land, the spies would, the people would send out spies to look over the land. So the spies who went to look over the land told the people, what a dangerous and difficult place this is. This is the promised land? This place is full of giants. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. God wants us to take that land? That's the promised land? So the people stopped believing in God's promises and instead believed the lie. Let me ask you something. What lie are you believing? Because God didn't do what you expected him to do. Because you made an, an ultimatum to God. God, if you do this, then I'm gonna, I'll be here every Sunday. I'll be worshiping. But God, you've got to do this. And God doesn't do it. And say, so, oh, that's it. I'm turning my back because I'm believing a lie. But you know what's really interesting? God never said that he was ever going to do any of those things. We just assumed it. So what lie are you believing? So here's the thing. Why didn't the people enter into God's rest, into the promised land? Not, be, the, not because they violated any law or because of any sin. It was simply because they did not believe in God. They didn't believe that God would do what he said he would do. Because of unbelief, they did not enter into God's rest. Verse 14. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. The writer says, come on, hold firm. Keep your eyes fixed. Hold firm to this conviction that our confidence is in Jesus. Hold firm to the end. Verse 15, it's just been said, today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Today, no matter what it looks like today, no matter how hard things are right now, you've just got bad report from the doctors today. The writer says, have your confidence in Jesus today. Here's the thing. It's easy to escape from the issues of today and live in tomorrow. Because tomorrow sounds amazing. Oh, I'm going to get lotto this weekend because just imagine what my life would look like if I had lotto. Guess what? Your life would look exactly the same even if you won lotto. Tomorrow sounds amazing. You know why? Because it's imaginary. It hasn't happened, right? It hasn't happened. Tomorrow sounds incredible. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you, tomorrow, right? Because it sounds amazing. But today, today, it doesn't even sound good. Today, today, I hate you, today, I wish you would just go away. But tomorrow, everything's going to be amazing. This is why I'm not on the wish list. Me and Jason are just sitting over here, right? It's about focus. The only way to tomorrow is through today. It's through today. We've got to stop living in tomorrow and live in the now. Don't say, well, if only I'm in a relationship. If, if only I had more money. If only I had a job. God is saying, I know exactly what you need. You don't need anyone else to complete you. You don't need to wait for the next stage of life to happen. It happens right now. Focus on Jesus 
today the pioneer and perfecter of your story. That is who my confidence is in, Jesus. Verse 16. Who were they that heard and rebelled? Were there not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned and whose bodies perished in the wilderness? To whom did God swear that, that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see, so that we see that they were not able to enter. Why weren't they able to enter? Because of their unbelief. Not because they violated a law. Not because of sin, but because of the unbelief. They lost their confidence in. Because this is true, what you head towards is what you focused on. Come on, my confidence is in Jesus. My confidence is in Jesus. Which means we can't sin away our salvation. We either believe or we reject it. We either believe in in the salvation offered by Jesus or we, we, we reject it. It's not based upon any merit. It's based on my decisions that I'm making to follow. See, we need to stop basing our security on our own performance, on my own merit. Because when I take my eyes off Jesus and look at myself, I begin to fail. I'm in my own strength. But we've got to keep our eyes fixed, focused. This is the, this is the calling from heaven. This is our heavenly call to have our thoughts fixed on Jesus. See, the concern of the writer of Hebrew is that he doesn't want them to abandon their confidence. Confidence in what? Their performance? No. Confidence that God will do what he said he will do. Confidence in Jesus. Jesus is my confidence. So here's another question that I hear. Oh, so does this mean that I can do whatever I want just as long as I believe? The Bible never says that. The Bible never endorses that. That's, that's also that's false doctrine again. The Bible doesn't say that, and this is not what this passage is saying. It's about relationship. And what do we know about relationships? Healthy relationships are meant to grow. Here's the thing. If I said to my amazing wife, focus, F-O-K-I-S. Okay, she's shaking her head. No, I'll go there. If I said to my wife, hey, I love you. You're the object of my desire. Right? If I said that to her, I'm saying with my words, but my actions show something else. I love you. I'm going to be away for a couple of days because I'm going to be hanging out with all the leaders. Right? Right? I'm, I'm out here. I'm, I'm, I'm dancing and partying, but hey, I love you. Remember this. You are the only one for me. Oh, the ladies. You know what I mean? See, you need to understand something. Works doesn't earn or keep your salvation, but it shows it. There's a relationship here. It shows it. Just like any relationship, there are struggles. I know it's hard for you to believe, but we have struggles even in our marriage. It can't be. Unfortunately, we are real people. (laughs) There are struggles. But you know what? This is when we engage with our struggles. 
and we focus on Jesus, that Jesus is the center of our marriage. And we begin to grow through our struggles. The Bible says, begin to work out your faithful fear and trembling. Which means, having questions about God is not unbelief. Right? Why are you doing this, Lord? Having those kind of questions is not unbelief. Wondering why God didn't do or didn't not do something is not unbelief. Struggling with addictions is not unbelief. But it's about working towards and growing. God, I'm struggling with this. I'm failing. I'm failing. Help me. Even in your struggles, look to the one who knows the way out of your storms. This is what relationship is meant to look like. It's not about ticking box because my confidence is not what I do. It's what Jesus has done for me. Refusing to believe that God's promises of eternal life is through Christ, that is unbelief. Rejecting the gospel in favor of another gospel, that is unbelief. Choosing to believe nothing at all is unbelief. It can be very clear. What has taken your attention? What has taken your attention off the gospel? Because if you're not careful, the writer of Hebrews says, do not lose your belief. Your salvation is not based upon what you do, but it's based on, it's on faith. Warning you, don't reject this salvation. So what does this mean for us? It means that if you have ever walked away from God, it means that if you've, you gave everything over to Him, but something happened in your life and you turned your back on Him and you stopped believing and you walked away, it means that you can come back home. Because unbelief can become belief again. It's not based upon what you do. It's based on your belief. It means if you've never known God, You've never had a relationship with Him. All your life, you, you lived a life of unbelief. It means that today you can choose to follow Him, to make a decision and begin to believe. That I'm believing in someone that knows the way through my issues and my problems. I'm putting my confidence in this God. I, I don't really know anything about it, but I know that I feel like I'm home. And the reason why I feel like I'm home is because I'm part of God's house, not the building, but the people that are surrounding me. I'm part of a community who is struggling and working out their faith with fear and trembling. Because when we look around, we're all struggling in some point of our life. That is not unbelief. Unbelief is turning my back and losing confidence. Here's the thing. There's nothing you can do to make Jesus love you anymore. Did you know that? There's nothing you can do to make him love him anymore. No matter how many good things you do, no matter how much money you give to the church, there's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore. You know why? Because he already loves you. You know what that means? It means there's nothing you can do less to make him love you less. Because he loves you just as you are, but get this. He loves you too much for you to stay the same. And when you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your story, you watch his love transform you. You know, I remember years ago, before I became a Christian, I was like, 
I was looking at my life, and my life was hitting in this downward uh, spiral. There's many of us know you exactly in this. You know exactly what I'm talking about, and you and you know that I need to stop doing these things because it's it's leading to destruction in my life. And I really did try. I thought, well, okay, I'm going to start doing all these good things. I'm going to maybe um, maybe if I read my Bible, maybe if I say a prayer, saying a prayer, try to get all these. Maybe I can I can I. We kind of treat G, like Jesus, like he's Santa Claus. Right? Because, uh, you know, he's, he's like Santa Claus. He's got a list and he's checking it twice if we're naughty or nice. Right? Jesus is not Santa Claus. He's better than Santa Claus because he's got nothing to do with a list. It's about what he did for us on the cross, setting us free. And I remember I was like, every good thing, every step forward, I was doing like two steps back. Do something good. Two steps back. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, I can't even do this. I said, what's the point? So I just gave up. I'm just not good enough. I'm, not, I'm just not worthy. My life is just not good enough. There's, there's, how can God accept someone like me? I can't even do it. Because I've been trying to do it in my own strength. Maybe someone in this room, you've been trying to change your life, but you've been doing it in your own strength. It wasn't until Portal dragged my butt to church. I didn't want to go to church. reason because I thought I... Wasn't good. I was unworthy to be in this place. I come to church, I remember looking around and I said, look, everyone's got their life together. Not, not realizing, though, no, these guys are probably even more messed up than me. <laughs> right? Well, that's, that's the house of God. You know, God, God, God loved you so much that he sent his son to all the messy people of the world. It says, come and bring your mess to me. That we're all working out our faith through fear and trembling. And when you're going to make mistakes. Come on, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You're not losing your salvation. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. It's when we stop believing. That's the warning of Hebrews. Don't reject the salvation. You know, I tell my story a thousand times because I know there's somebody in this room who feels exactly how I feel that I'm unworthy. And God will say to you, as he said to me all those years ago, come as you are and let me transform you. All of a sudden, I found myself wanting to go to church wanting to read my Bible, do all these things, and my life started transforming. I realized I was doing this stuff, but not because I had this checklist. I was doing it because my life was being transformed because I was in real relationship with Jesus, and I was part of a community, not an isolation. If you believe that you can be in isolation and be a follower of God, that is a false doctrine again. Come on, I'm speaking out against false doctrine. The Bible is about a community of believers to be part of God's house. People working this thing out. Looking to Jesus. Focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my story, the pioneer who knows the way through. Because this is true. You head towards what you're focused on because my confidence is in Jesus. You may be here and you feel that you're enslaved to sin, but here's the good news, that God loved you so much that he steps into his creation and in the fullness of Jesus, he dies for all your sin, for your greatest regrets, the things that you wish you can go back and change, but you can't. The good news is Jesus can. 
And it's not about saying some magic words. Say this prayer, and now you're saved. It's not about words. It's about do you believe? Do you actually believe? You might be in this room, and you're like, I've tried it on my own, but I'm looking to you. Here's the thing. I don't really like to say I'm leading you in a prayer. This is what I always say. You need to make conscious, a conscious decision. It's belief. That today, you know what? Man, I'm ready to leave my life for sin. I'm not just saying mere words, but I'm going to do this thing. And I'm going to follow you. Because you know the way out of my issues. I've tried it on my own and I've failed. I want to encourage you. It's not, it's not a magic wand. Like all of a sudden your troubles go away. Come on, you're going to struggle, you're going to go through hardship. Come on, I know, I can put all my legs up and hands. Here's the good news, you are not alone. When you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer, he will help you through. His love will transform you because my confidence is in Jesus.